welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. With the rise and rise of technology and digital everything taking over our business life, it seems that the art of communication may be at risk. Yet, in business, we are still dealing with people. Humans are our customers. Teams are made up of people. Today, we discuss how to gear up for fast and frequent change, how the customer experience is changing, and overall, how to work better together. Taking Care of Business is made possible by our friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. Our first guest is one of Australia's thought leaders on productivity in the modern workplace. He's the author of best-selling book, Smart Work, and has just released his new book, aptly named Smart Teams. Welcome to the show, Dermot Crowley. Thanks, Jackie. Lovely to be here. Good to have you here, Dermot. Now, how do you build a team culture? It's not easy, um, (laughs) but uh, I think it's definitely worthwhile. Um, I I particularly focus in on uh, what I would call the productivity culture within a team. So I work with a lot of organizations, large and small, who... Uh, they don't mean to, but they uh, they work in a way that tends to cause what I call productivity friction. Um, every time we send emails, every time we have meetings, every time we collaborate, there's a chance that we're actually dragging other people's productivity down. And this kind of becomes the culture of the organization or the team. And people come into those teams, and, and that's just the way things are done around here. And I reckon that... Um, Leaders really need to uh, see this as, a, as an issue and they need to build a productive team culture that actually allows work to flow rather than creating friction. Yeah, so how do you fix a culture that's effectively toxic? If it's, if it's toxic, and there's, there's a few different levels here, so I sometimes see you know, quite a toxic culture where um, you know, people actually work against each other and um, deliberately cause productivity friction. And that's a serious issue and, and, you know, it it probably goes beyond reading a book or even doing a training program. Um, But if, if if a culture is, is what I would call passive where People just aren't aware that they're causing each other the, uh, this friction. There's a much greater chance that you can actually change that culture. So, you know, the first thing is to get people from toxic to, to passive and then move them up um, uh, a ladder until they become what I would call a super productive culture where um, they're working really effectively. And it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of, of skills development. Um, I I think that organizations need to create a set of um, uh, productivity uh, protocols or agreements um, so that we all understand how we should be working together. And I truly believe that leaders need to lead from the front with this. So if, if leaders are behaving unproductively, they cannot expect their teams to work productively. So um, they need to actually be demonstrating these good behaviours all of the time. Yeah, I think that's a great message because if the staff and your team don't get that and are not being productive, then you can guarantee that your customers are feeling it too. So if businesses want to put their customers first, they've got to get the culture right first, don't Mm -hmm. they? That's exactly right. And if you want to be a responsive business, if you want to be really responsive to your customers' needs, one of the things you need to do is to try and get rid of all of the noise that tends to 
uh, take up and fill up our days. So, you know, I'm regularly working with, with groups of people who'd be getting two, three hundred emails a day. It's very hard to be responsive to, to customers when you're wading through that many email messages that are simply unnecessary. That's right. I love it, Dermot. Uh, one of your quotes in your book, Smart Teams, is we need more than just new technology to stay organised in the modern workplace. We need new mindsets, new systems and new skills. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about what the new mindset, new systems and new skills are. So when it comes to mindset, I, I, um, I often use the analogy of um, the, mov- the movie uh, Beautiful Mind, uh, Russell Crowe played Great Dr. Movie. John Nash in, in A Beautiful Mind. And uh, it, it, a, long, um, a long scene in the movie um, can be summed up uh, in this. Um, uh, uh, economic thinking um, back in the 1950s was based on the idea that the best result comes from everyone doing what is best for themselves. And, and um, uh, John Nash came along and, and enhanced that by um, putting forward the idea that the best result comes from everyone doing what is best for themselves and for the group at the same time. And this is called Nash's Equilibrium and is often called game theory. And it's a very important concept in you know everything from traffic flow to online gambling. Um, when it comes to productivity, I think it's also a really important idea. So the mindset should be Every time you send an email, every time you communicate with somebody else, every time you have a meeting, every time you collaborate, you should be doing it in a way that is productive for both yourself and for the group at the same time. And and that's a very different mindset to what I generally see in most organizations. So, you know, that that would be the starting point for me. Yeah, I I love that. I love that. I I do think Russell Crowe should have. I think, did he win the Academy Award for that? No, he didn't. He probably should have. I think you should have as well. Now, the other thing too, Dermot, that um, that I loved uh, in your book was looking at ways to boost your personal productivity. So, those running a business or working in a business, but just productivity at home in in your personal running your personal life, I suppose. What are some tips for boosting that personal productivity? Look, I always reckon that the the first thing that people need to do, whether it be at work or at home is to have one central system to manage everything that you need to do. So generally what I see people doing is they they use lots of different systems to try and remember stuff. So we have our calendar for our meetings, but we will generally have to-do lists and piles of emails in our inbox and post-it notes and, and lots of stuff in our head. They're all different systems that we use to remember stuff. But it doesn't work very well because it, it takes a lot of time and effort to work out what do I need to do today or what do I need to do next. So I really believe in having one system that shows me both my meeting workload and my task workload in the same tool. And look, electronic tools are really, really good at this. So um, whether you're using Microsoft Outlook or Gmail, they're all designed to allow you to manage both your meeting schedule as well as your priorities in the one tool. It's just that most people don't tend to do that. We're still using paper tools. So that's step number one, upgrade to technology and have one central tool. 
Yeah, that's a, a great tip. Now, you mentioned earlier that the work that you've done with a lot of a with a lot of recognisable companies in Australia. I know that you've uh, worked with more than 40,000 people, including companies like Commonwealth Bank, uh, HP, Harvey Norman, Medibank, Allens, the list goes on. Are there any similar patterns that you've noticed that these companies are doing? Yeah, look, I think um, one of the big problems across the board is um, is email, poor email, um, mm. uh, not just usage, but also um, uh, the, the amount of noise in, in organizations when it comes to email. So I think we, we over-rely on email as a communication tool. Mm. Um, again, when people are getting hundreds of emails a day, they can't do their work properly. So... Um, uh, there isn't a single organization that I work with that has that nailed, yet they're all sending each other way, way, way too many emails. And, and similarly, I think they tend to spend way too much of their time in meetings. Um, it's, it's another massive problem. And I reckon that most businesses could probably reduce the number of meetings that they have. They could shorten the number of meetings that they have. They could reduce the amount of people that are in those meetings. And if we did that, it would actually give people more time to to focus on the other stuff that they need to get done during core working hours. Because if someone's day is full of meetings and emails, you can guarantee they're going to be working long hours trying to catch up on everything else. And this is where our work-life balance goes out of whack. Yeah, So that's pretty consistent across every client that I work with. Yeah, we need to have a chat to Microsoft when you send someone a calendar invite, which is quite standard. They don't have minute increments. And you should be able to send someone a five-minute meeting or a 10-minute meeting, but you can't. I think think the minimum amount is maybe 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, locks you into into that. Now, you can manually change it, but... It, it's a bit of a pain to do that, and it should it should be really easy to do that. And I totally agree. I love to have ten minute meetings rather than the standard one hour, which only happens because we have one hour um, time slots in our calendar, which seems a silly way to decide the length of a meeting. Dermot, it could be a new business idea we've just come up with. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for your time in your new book, Smart Teams, which is available everywhere that you can buy books. Uh, It's a really great book. It's tougher than ever for teams to be truly productive, as you mentioned, never-ending email, packed schedules of ineffective meetings, projects with poorly defined objectives. This book certainly helps uh, with some really great tips and a practical guide on how to build a super productive team culture with very clear, simple steps and everyday actions. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and being on the show today, Dermot Crowley. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business exclusively here on Ardell PFM. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That, of course, was Jump by Van Halen. That always gets you waking up on on a Friday morning. And our next guest is all about jumping and leaping, and she has written a book called Career Leap, and she is an organisational change and leadership expert. She has a distinguished reputation across the Asia-Pacific region as a keynote speaker, advisor, facilitator, and executive mentor for many leading-edge corporates and global organisations. 
organisations, author of Step Up, How to Build Your Influence at Work, and as I mentioned, Career Leap, How to Reinvent and Liberate Your Career. I'd like to welcome Michelle Gibbings. Hello, Jackie. How are you? Hi, Michelle. Good, thank you. I'm sure you've heard that song a thousand times. I have, but it always makes me happy. It is. It's one of those. It's one of those songs, isn't it? Now, uh, thank you for joining us on the show. Now, I know that the way we work is changing, uh, and in your new book, you talk about those entering the workforce today have will have an estimated seventeen employers across five careers in their lifetimes, and roles are becoming more automated across all professions, and employees need to change their idea of what it means to be employed. So what are some of the things that uh, we need to think about as far as the mental, I suppose, the mindset or change of changing careers? I think the most important thing is to realise that we're each accountable for our own career and for what we do with it. And I'm, you know, I come across a lot of people in the work that I do and there's still sometimes this notion that it's someone else's responsibility to manage their career for them in terms of suggesting what learning they need to do or whether they need to go for a promotion, rather than going, actually, it's my career, it's my accountability. And so that therefore means when it's my accountability, I'm responsible for the choices that I'm making and for the steps that I need to take. And one of the things that I need to do is to constantly learn Mm. rather than going, well, this is my profession or the skill set that I have and I don't need to learn anything else. And, you know, the world of work has always changed. What's different now is the pace and the frequency of that change. Yeah, so that's right. I always say there's a reason Roger Federer still has a coach. He's always wanting to improve, and I think business can learn a lot from sport from that perspective. Oh, absolutely. And his mindset, I mean, you look at he approaches his, you know, tennis, it's a job, you know, for him as well, but he approaches it with this really clear mindset around what he needs to do, how he hones his craft, and his absolute dedication and focus to it is incredible. Yeah, it is. I know. I follow him on Twitter. I'm mildly obsessed by him. But um, on Twitter, there was um, um, Sachin Tendulkar, the famous cricketer, uh, tweeted something about, oh, maybe we should compare notes. And Rogers tweeted straight back to him, I've got my notebook out. Let's let's talk. And I and it was a real insight into his that sort of mindset of continual learning. Uh, and I, I just thought that was really good. And in your book, you talk about getting fit for the future, talking about being fit for your job, but you talk about getting fit for the future. So what should employees and leaders focus on to get fit? When you're fit for the future, it means that you do this nice balance between looking at the past, being aware of what you need to do in the present, but also looking ahead. So I often say to people, if you're just constantly focusing on the past, you're never going to make any progress or steps forward and you can ruminate too much about what's gone either right, you can get complacent, or you can become too mired in what's gone wrong. You absolutely have to deliver well in the current job that you're in. But you've also got one eye towards the future so that you're considering, well, how is my industry and profession changing? Um, What's going to be needed in the future that's not needed now? And look, there's lots of research out there that can be quite alarmist around the rate of automation and the whole, you know, will a robot take my job? And there's even a website, which is willarobottakemyjob.com, and you can type in your profession or type of work that you do and we'll come back and tell you what's the likelihood that your role will be automated. And so some of those statistics can be 
overly alarmist. Mm. But there is no doubt that robotics automation technology is going to change the nature of the work. And McKinsey's released a report in 2017, and to my mind, it's probably one of the most thorough, because it says, you know, with current available technology, only 5% of roles can be fully automated. But with that current technology, up to 60% of roles can have 30% of their roles um, that will be automated. And so what it means is that for many people, your job won't totally disappear, but it is going to change. And it's not just happening in sort of manufacturing and process-based industries. It's happening in professions. And so if you look at the work of lawyers, a lot of the work that paralegals used to do, it, you know, what used to take hours and hours to research case law can now be done in a matter of minutes by pumping into a computer the information that you want. We've got robots in hospitals in um, WA which are dispensing pharmaceuticals. There are robots in um, and automation in you know different life insurance companies which are actually assessing claims. So no matter what industry or profession you're in, technology is going to change your job. So rather than sit back and wait for it to happen, get on the front foot, understand what those impacts might be, and therefore. How's that going to shift the type of work I do? What additional competencies or capabilities might I have need to acquire so that I'm fit for the future of work? Yeah, that's always really good tips. Now, speaking of tips, in your book, you've had an enormous amount of great testimonials. You had a foreword by Bernard Salt, who's a well-known demographer and uh, and social commentator. Uh, but you also included some tips from people like Lane Beachley, Jessica Watson, Simon Madden, what, what were some of the tips that they shared with you? I think there was an overriding theme, which was very much that whole thing around take control of your future. But I also love the comment that Lean Beachley made because she talked about how she was always really confident when she was a surfer because she knew what that was like. But then when she moved into the speaking realm, you know, in her first speech she got feedback that was not positive and she learned that feedback was her friend um, and that, you know, we as humans can be overly focused on the negative but don't focus on the negative in terms of what went wrong but what are you taking away and what's the learning that you're taking from this? Um, and I also love, you know, when, when I interviewed a lot of people for the book, I was really clear. I wanted to interview people who are well-known but also people who weren't so well-known mm. and the reason for that is I wanted people to realise that it's accessible for everybody. Anybody can make a career leap, but there's a process to go through. And the process just gives you some guidance around, well, what are the things that I need to think about so that I'm doing this with an end in mind, but also some steps to follow that make it seem easier for me. Yeah, one of the biggest issues would be confidence. And I know that you touch on that in your book. So how do you develop the confidence you need to take that decisive action? I think most people struggle with confidence. I, you know, a lot of people look at me and they go, oh, wow, you know, you're so confident. I've seen you speak and there's hundreds of people in the room and you don't seem nervous. And I go, I'm always nervous before I give a big speech. When I left corporate to start the business five years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. But my view was kind of like, oh, look, stuff it. Just give it a crack and see where it lands. And so to me, the confidence comes from starting. When you're sitting down and thinking about the future, you're not necessarily confident about where it's going to go or how it's going to work. But when you start something, when you realize the choices that you want to make, the confidence comes from the doing, not from the being, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so often I say to people, just give it a go. 
you never know where it's going to land. And if it doesn't work out, it actually doesn't matter because you can always go back and do something else. There's always options and choices, but you'll never know. And a life lived with regret is far worse than a life where you go, oh, I've made a few stuff up and a few mistakes along the way, but hey, at least I've lived an interesting life and I've given it a shot. Yes, wonderful, wonderful advice. Now, for those looking at changing careers, and it's something I think that more people now are considering particularly uh, as, well, they're being forced almost, so they're in their 50s and they're either becoming redundant because they haven't kept up to date with skill levels and things like that, and there are or they're retiring, getting a super payout and going, I'm going to start my own business. I mean, there's this real rise of the entrepreneur. What advice would you give them, Michelle? To just give it a crack. Like, it literally is. I mean, I look at myself... Five years ago, I had no idea I was going to set up a business. I literally went on a meditation retreat and came home to, from, to my husband and I said, I'm done with corporate. And he goes, oh, okay, what does that mean? And I said, well, I know that it's, I need to do something different and I'm going to open a business. And he said, brilliant, in what? And I said, I've got absolutely no idea. And he kind of went, right, okay. And I literally started from there. And so... It's about exploration, and one of the best pieces of advice that I got early on was don't close the door too early, and by that, it was be open to different opportunities, explore where they may land, because you're never going to know exactly how something is going to work out until you actually step in and try it, and you're not going to know even whether you like it until you try it, and once you've given something a decent period of time, if you then go, hey, I don't like this, you can then make the choice to do something else or even go back to something that you were doing before. But it's only through the doing and the experimentation that you're ever going to know what's possible. And I'd also say read widely, learn widely, and talk to lots of different people. But be careful who you take advice from. There are lots of very well-meaning people around, um, and they can hold you back. And so I often say to people, Focus on what you could do, not what you should do, because there's a lot of shoulds in life, and there'll be a lot of people saying, oh, you shouldn't do that, or you should do this. And often, one, they're not experienced enough or don't actually have um, a background in the area that they're giving you advice on, or they're nervous themselves about what you could be doing, and so they want to play small or want you to play small because it makes them feel safe. And so it's about you being comfortable with the choices that you're making and then going, hey, actually a little bit of fear is good because if there's no fear, it means you're not learning anything new and you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah, it's the stretching, not snap. As I say, I don't like being pushed out of my comfort zone, but I certainly like stretching. As long as it doesn't snap, I think that's that's always good advice. And I know with the rise of freelancing and the gig economy and the rise of entrepreneurs, uh, it means more flexibility and independence, but it also means living with less security. So I think that bit of advice is more risk adverse. Um, but I think building up resilience is really important as well. What's your view on that? Yeah, and look, I think resilience means different things to different people. So really, resilience is really this ability to almost like be able to bounce forward and go, okay, well, I've, something's gone wrong. It hasn't worked. What am I going to learn from it? And so when you are, particularly if you're looking to go out on your own, self-care is so important in terms of exercise, meditation, reflection, surrounding yourself with people who are going to feed your soul and your mind. Um, but one of the best things about you know working for yourself is the flexibility to work anywhere. So I'm actually working from Rye at the moment. So I'm based in Melbourne, but once a quarter, my husband and I, to the extent we can, try and base ourselves in different locations because when you're in a different space, 
it gives you a space to think differently, but also that balance. Because often, you know, these days we all do a lot of travel with work and things like that. So having the ability to work in different locations, but also with someone that you love, means that you've got this kind of best of both worlds. I'm working, but I'm also kind of having a little bit of a holiday at the same time because I'm in a different location. Well, we're almost neighbours. I'm heading down to Rye this afternoon, so I'm, I'll keep an eye out for you, Michelle. I can certainly recommend some good coffee shops, but I might oh, take, take that offline with you. Michelle <laughs> Gibbings, thank you very much for your time. Your new book, Career Leap, How to Reinvent and Liberate Your Career, is a great read for anyone looking at getting fit for the future of work. Really appreciate your valuable time. My pleasure. Enjoy the Mornington Peninsula. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. EVU Real Estate Partners know that buying, selling or leasing a property is a major event in a person's life. EVU understand and have a team of people who are committed to making your real estate experience as stress-free as possible. Thinking of a career in real estate? Positions available now all over Melbourne. For more, call EVU on 8781 or online at www.evu.com.au and expect extraordinary. EVU, now you're at home. The station sponsor. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That was High Hopes at Panic at the Disco. And it's always good to have high hopes in your career and in work. And that's the theme for today's show is how to work better together, how to deal with better with people, how to cope with this fast-changing pace. And a company and a business that gives many Business Women High Hopes is one of my favourite charities that I support, Dressed for Success. And we have the new president in the studio, Karen Hahn. Hello. How are you, Jackie? Good to, good to see you. Nice to be here. Congratulations, president. Thank you very much. When was yes. That's quite recent. Uh, in March, late Cu- March. A couple of so months ago. A few months ago, yes. Excellent. So tell us a little bit from Dress for Success. Tell us a little bit about what it is, what you do. Well, we're a not-for-profit organisation and we provide a service to help and support economic independence for women. So it's women who've either never been in the workforce, have been out of the workforce for a long time, but also we're now helping women from who are referred by the Justice Department. So if they need to be dressed for going to court or any other issues. Job interviews. Job interviews, yeah. um, anything. And not it may not even necessarily be for a job. We have women coming in who've been referred to us who may just need clothes for a special occasion, right. like a wedding yeah, or, okay. Okay. you know, something a bit more personal than a job. To dress them for success. To dress them for success. Hence e- the exactly, name. exactly. So uh, you actually have not only the sh- the clothes in there, and I've been in there. It's open on a Friday today, isn't it, on a Friday it, it afternoon? Is, yes, from 10 till 2 yeah. we have a shop. Uh, where we sell clothes that can be from fantastic new designer clothes, um, never worn, which because we have some fantastic uh, people who donate to us. Yes, I've donated. I no, know. No, no, many <laughs> other people I know as well have donated some wonderful uh, business outfits and uh, and just no- normal clothes to it. That's right. But I've actually been in there. I think I bought a pair of shoes. I know. And, uh, $5. And, yeah, $5. <laughs> and they're, they're fantastic. But you also offer styling advice as well. So we you do. have stylists in there. We have all of our ladies who work with us are all volunteers. Mm. And uh, so, yes, they style the women. Uh, when a woman comes to us, an hour we spent with her. 
trying on outfits, handbags, shoes. We dress from the inside out, so from underwear to shoes and handbags and jewellery. And some people might think, you know, this is superficial, but from a female perspective, it makes you feel, and that's the focus is the feeling, Mm. it gives you a bit more confidence and makes you feel better. You know, I I don't know about anyone else, but, you know, you buy a new pair of shoes and you wear them and you just feel better. Don't you ever. Yeah, yes. you really do. You really you do. do. And I know it's hard for a lot of men to understand that. But it, it, that. Is, but it women, is that confidence. Yes, it's it is. Because you do feel when somebody says you look good, you feel it makes you walk different. Yeah. Yes. It just gives you that little bit of extra air. The, the guest we had on just before you was Michelle Gibbings, who's written a book called Career Leap. And we talked about confidence, and that's a constant issue. Of course. And when I'm dealing particularly for women in business, uh, that is that is a consistent pattern and a consistent issue is about confidence. So this, this helps with that. We, it does. And we also, of course, have a career centre that offers uh, courses to women who who come to us, it's part of uh, the service we offer, and of course our service is free uh, mm. to everybody. So we ha- rely heavily on grants and philanthropic donations and donations from the public, yeah. and which are all tax deductible, which is wonderful. Now your premises are in Frankston, they are in Balmoral Walk, Walk, which is just opposite the new Ardo PFM studio in Frankston. It is, yes. But are you moving? Did we, I hear? We, we that? are. We're moving to 25 Rossmith Avenue, so just outside Bayside Centre, to a much larger premises. We will still be having the old premises till the end of next year. Mm. Um, but it will have we have everything under one roof then. So our career centre, our boutique, and we'll have our shop able to be opened five days a week. Oh, that's so, so exciting! So, Karen. which is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And we've been so lucky to get the help of uh, young uh, Simon Lenardi and his partner Joe Anne from at the Italia Cartel in Carlton. It's a young group of architects who've offered their services for free. Oh, that's wonderful. So shout out to them. A big shout out yeah, to them. Yeah. And also just quickly, the Frankston North Rotary and Frankston RSL who've been helping uh, with manpower because yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what well, you need we need that. to you clean need up and um, Frankston RSL is going to help us paint. So it's wonderful. Great. Oh, yes. I love it when the, everyone sort of gets together. Partnerships. And that's that teamwork, isn't it? The collaboration, is that- the partnerships. Now, with um, all your volunteers that you've got, how do you manage them? So what are some of the tips and tricks that you do to keep them I think going? offering them something that they are passionate about. So we have different areas in in our organisations where they can help. So be it styling in the boutique. Now, I wouldn't be any good at that. Come on, Karen. (laughs) I know, but I like to style myself, but looking on other people, I don't know if I'd be too good. But there's marketing. If you're, you know, expertise in marketing, we have IT, some administrations. You can help in the career centre. You can mentor because we have a lot of women who mentor. So there's a range of things. that So we keep the volunteers involved and happy in what they're doing. Mm. So if they're doing something that they feel comfortable in, that also translates to the women we help. Yeah, well, they're actually seeing that, and I think that's probably part of it. They see them come in 
and they can help and that uh, that feeling of being able to help someone's extremely powerful and then to actually witness the tran the, the, the transition in a way must be very liberating and it's, it's motivating. Wonderful. It's wonderful. And we also have a little program that's called Stand where women who've received are in jobs, we have a monthly meeting, networking, and we have a mentor that talks on issues. So if they have issues in the workplace uh, because they've, they're new to the workplace and people don't like to ask questions sometimes. We've got experts. So if you have a, an HR issue or something, we've got experts that can help. So it's, and we've had a woman who's been coming every month for three and a half years. Really? Mm. And it's her growth and she's finally, she's been working, but now she's worked up to the job she's always wanted. Oh, that's great, isn't it? Wonderful. Exciting. Wonderful, exciting, yes. So uh, if people are interested in volunteering, have you got spaces for volunteers? Uh, we always have spaces for volunteers. Uh, you can either co contact us on 9770 Don't give out numbers because no one remembers No them. one remembers No, you know them. what we'll do? We'll put a link Wait, to our Facebook you page. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's or, easy, isn't it? Or there's always emails, of course. Yeah, and or if they come Google, and see us, it, Google Dress for Success, yeah, Morning Peninsula, everything. Everything is there. Yeah. Um, so yes, please. We'll come put a link. And, come and, and come and join us. Well, they can or just pop in. Pop in and see us. Only too happy to talk. Yeah. And it's they're a wonderful group of women who are doing some wonderful things. They are. Wonderful they really things. are, and worth acknowledging. So we're doing that today. We are. Karen Hahn, Dress for Success, one of my favourite uh, organisations that I really like to support, and Taking Care of Business has always supported it, and I think the work that you do there is outstanding. And congratulations on the new role as El Presidente. What's your vision? What's your legacy vision, that you want to leave? Legacy to make it grow, mm. and we're looking at helping men. That's Great. That's been our long-term vision, mm. where we've never had the space. So with our other shop now, we're hoping, we've had some talks with some government departments for some assistance, and we will use the older, our old, old shop mm. uh, to help men, because Brilliant. that's been our, um, you know, people have always come and said, why don't you do it for men? Mm. But we just don't have the space or the funding. It's, mm. it's, you know, like every, like everything else, you can't do it on fresh air. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's really exciting. So that's our, yeah. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> okay, well, stay tuned. I look forward to the, to the next, uh, next chapter. Thanks, Jackie. Karen Hahn, Dress for Success, a great charity. I highly recommend it. If you've got any work clothes or any clothes at all that you're going through your wardrobe and go, oh, I don't wear that so much, and you want somewhere to donate it, Dress for Success is the place to go. And then also go on a Friday and have a look if you're looking at uh, you know, adding some items to your wardrobe. The quality is very high. It is very high. Yeah, Thank it's you, Jackie. brilliant. Thanks very much. Uh, we are here picking the best brains in the business world on taking care of business, and we'll be right back after this short break. We only speak to people that are in the A-team of business. That was, of course, Ed Sheeran. And one of business's largest employers in an area greatly affected with the advent of technology and all of us have had some experience with is the world of retail. Our next guest is a specialist in examining disruption in retail and is also director of Australia's largest e-commerce trade show and conference, which is called Online Retailer. Welcome, Alice Cooper. Hi there. 
Hello, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank now, you. what are the key areas in retail that are currently being disrupted? Well, I mean, stores certainly are being disrupted, as we've seen over um, the last decade. Um, retail overall is changing or has been changing. Um, we've certainly seen that um, in different areas across, you know, online retail as well as um, bricks and mortar. So um, all the retailers around uh, the country and around the globe are really investing into technologies to keep up with those changes and to provide a consumer experience that um, that meets the demands of today's consumers, especially millennials. Yes, well, certainly the customer experience has drastically changed and it's going to continue to change. So how do you think it will change in years to come? Yeah, look, um, we're already seeing that um, essentially technology has enabled the consumer to shop on different channels, so whether it be mobile, desktop, in the store, um, by the app. And so um, it's all about trying to provide an experience that's quite seamless across those channels, and that's sort of really what we've seen a lot of investment going in over the last 10 years, to try and facilitate that seamless experience between the different channels and trying to move away from that um it's an online or it's an offline experience and making it quite seamless. Um, there's certainly a lot of new interesting developments um, from a technology perspective that are coming into play into stores and online. We're seeing augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, there's a lot of talk of um, artificial intelligence and voice commerce. They're probably sort of the latest um, uh, big developments that we'll, we will see more and more sophistication um, and that will impact the consumer experience going forward. Okay, you mentioned about, I suppose, omni-channeling is what they're talking about, is that seamless experience for the for the customer. But those that are in retail that still, I mean, that they have a bricks-and-mortar store uh, and are sort of dabbling a little bit in web, are they being left far behind or not? Some are, um, but a lot of them aren't. I mean, we're seeing a lot of um, great uh, multi-channel retailers in Australia who are investing into uh, digital uh, products in their stores. Um, one example, um, Q, they've just launched Endless Isle in their store um, and they enable the consumer to basically go in the store, choose from the entire range of their products in the store um, without having to have all the products physically in the store. So that's a great example of where that line is blurred between online and, and, and the physical um, store experience, and they are sort of some of the, um, the presenters that we have at the show. Okay, so what role now does social media play in a retailer strategy? Well, social media, um, I guess, can be rolled out across different um, ways, but... Primarily, it's a marketing channel, um, but more and more also, um, it's, a, it's an opportunity to actually buy. So, Instagram has um, launched a, a buy now button, so um, there's the opportunity to actually buy from the social media platform. But most retailers, you know, they, they've all rolled out um, very robust social media strategies to engage with the consumers, especially with millennials. Right, okay. So... 
Let's talk about baby boomers. There uh, is there is there evidence, or in your experience, that they're still struggling with the online shopping, or are they are they embracing it? They are embracing it, certainly. I mean, my expertise is very much around the um, the technology side and what retailers are doing, um, but we are seeing that retailers who target the baby boomers are more and more also embracing online, and they're only doing that in response to their consumers. So I, I do think that there is uh, more and more sophistication from the baby boomers in um, transacting online. Yeah, we talked about the changing customer experience, Alice, a little bit before. Do you think customers are still loyal or do you think that they've got so many choices now that they, they easily switch? I think it's all about um, building a brand loyalty. I think customers are loyal once they found a brand that they really love and that brand continues to delight them and provide them with an easy experience. Um, with with everyone's lives becoming so busy, I think consumers more and more just want choices to be taken away from them so that they don't have to make so many decisions because we're already making so many decisions yes. day in and day out. Yeah. So I think it's all about brands being um, uh, making it easy for people. And we're seeing that, you know, with a lot of um, retailers that I guess consumers are transacting with every day that do your convenience shopping like your um, the big retailers in, in food, they're certainly doing a lot of work to try and make it as easy as possible, and that's where I think then brand loyalty comes in. Um, but having said that, um, I don't think consumers are probably that forgiving anymore. If they if they have a bad experience because there are more choices, they will change. Yeah, okay. So we keep hearing about Amazon coming into the Australian market. It's going to change everything about retail. How will that change things? Yeah, look, I mean, Amazon launched at the end of um, 2017, so it's been about seven months now that they've been in the market, and um, we certainly saw a lot of um, hype about the entry, and um, there was a lot of talk about Amazon uh, taking over Australian retail, and um, I think that we haven't really seen the impact yet at all. Um, they have taken a very similar approach to uh, launching into Australia as they have with other markets, which is a slow and steady approach. Um, so the, the impact that we will see from Amazon, will, we will see over the next few years to come. And if we take other markets as an example, so in America, for example, um, nearly 50% of all e-commerce sales go through Amazon. Um, that is an indication of the power that they have. And so certainly um, retailers, and brands in this country um, need to be prepared. Um, however, it's more about understanding what is their unique um, proposition and what, what, what makes them different to Amazon because what we see certainly from other markets is that it's very hard to actually compete with Amazon. They just have a model that is very hard to compete with. So retailers are very much in a position to having to um, be clear about um, what, what they need to work on and that's you know we're seeing that across the retailers that we work with and that come to the event. Yeah and they could keep an eye on Amazon and learn a lot from them. Now this event that we're talking about is this online retailer expo and conference which is on the 25th to 26th of July at ICC in Sydney in Darling Harbour and yes. the theme is where the future meets retail. So Alice what is the future of retail? <laughs> um <laughs> 
The future of retail, I think, is all about the customer. All, essentially, what all retailers and brands want to do is they want to deliver great customer experiences because if customers have great experiences, they continue to, to buy. Um, I think that, you know, a lot, I get a lot of questions around is, is there still a role for bricks and mortar? Do stores actually I get they're going to survive? Um, I personally, from what I've seen, I think they will. I think there is a role for stores. We will in the future still have stores, but the role is changing. Um, in the past, consumers' lives have gone into stores to, to transact, to stores to do everything. Now they um, look for the products online. They might come to the store to pick it up. So it's about the retailers needing to um, facilitate that um, and the role of the store changing. That's a great way to finish. Alice Cooper, thank you very much for your valuable time today and I wish you all the best for the Online Retailer Expo and Conference on the 25th to the 26th of July in Darling Harbour in Sydney. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We hope you're enjoying eavesdropping this fascinating conversation. Right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We hope you've enjoyed today's show and that you've learned something new today and feel at least inspired about how to work better together and then also how to cope with this fast and frequent change and how the customer experience is changing. We looked at it from many different angles today and it was all about how to work better together, as the Beatles say, come together. So if you just joined us, you missed a lot, but there'll be a podcast on the website, ardwellpfm.com.au. So we look forward to your company next Friday, 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.